and welcome to the official podcast of the Australian Securities and Investments Commission. With me today to discuss open banking is Van Lee, Director of Innovation and Strategy at Zinja. Van, welcome. Thanks very much for having us. So to start us off, can you tell me a little bit about what open banking is and how it's going to change banking as we know it? I think one of the most um, exciting opportunities of open banking is that it will enable customers to safely and securely share data about their finances and their banking, which will enable service providers to provide much greater choice and transparency so that people can make much better decisions, much more informed and transparent decisions around what's best for them. So this is sort of about competition and consumer choice, would you say? Absolutely. In a way that empowers consumers more than ever before because the options and choices available to them can now be provided in the context of genuine data and more complete data around what those options mean for someone's financial future. And can you tell me a little bit about how uh, Zinja sort of fits into this idea and and what your vision for banking in the future in Australia is? Absolutely. Uh, What we're really interested in doing is creating a banking service that helps people make better choices with their money. And key to that is being able to provide the information that customers need in, in real time, information that provides a complete picture of where someone's financial situation is, and information that's put in context of what matters to people and what they really care about, so that it takes away the stress and the overwhelm of making those financial decisions. So there'll be a lot of, uh, I would think, sort of social and demographic components that fit into this sort of concept. What about issues with people who don't have such good access to the internet? What about people who are less financially savvy? What about you know elderly people, people with disabilities, people who live in rural areas? How do you, how are you planning to address the sort of demographic impacts? A common theme in terms of what we're looking to do at Zinder is bringing humanity back to banking. And part of that is making it possible for anyone, everyone, to access the kinds of services that you used to be able to get when you had a bank manager available you know, down the street, someone who knew your character, someone who knew your finances, and someone who could talk you through what's, what's best for you and what your options are. We think for many customers, technology provides us the opportunity to bring even more humanity to those decisions and provide more transparency and fairness. And we also recognise that there are a number of customers who don't have similar levels of access to technology and digital channels. That's why for us, when we say that um, we believe people should be able to do all of their banking from their mobile phone, it's not limited to apps. It also means you can still call someone and interact with another human being to be taken through what those options and opportunities are. So obviously with uh, the kind of setup that you're talking about, privacy and information security will be a really strong focus for you. Can you tell me a little bit about how you're going to approach that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It begins with bringing the best that technology has to offer in terms of protecting the data that we do have. Part of that is about managing that balance between giving consumers access and control over their data and providing the freedom to share that without exposing customers to unnecessary risk. So for example, we don't expect um, that customers should have to hand over their online or mobile banking details in order to share data about their transactions. 
We've learnt a lot from neobanks overseas, especially in Europe and the UK, in terms of the challenges um, and also the opportunities of the um, PSD2 standards over there and what that might bring to open banking and the levels of security that would be appropriate for the kinds of services that we're looking to offer. But above and beyond that, I think it's it would be quite arrogant for any of us in the industry to say that there will never be a data or security or privacy breach. If anything, that we should be preparing for these things to happen because cyber security and cyber crimes are getting more and more advanced. But what's important is that we're aware of those risks and we have policies and processes and technology in place to minimise the impact of those instances so that customers' money is protected, even if they do occur. Um, what about trust? I would think that trust would be a very significant component of the customer relationship, really for any financial institution, but especially for someone that's new. Oh, absolutely. We've, um, we've seen numerous um, stories in the media recently on the erosion of trust and the need for the industry to rebuild that trust again. In our very early customer workshops and interviews, one of the questions we asked them is, who do they trust with their money? And what was interesting is some of them said, who I don't trust are fund managers, superannuation funds, my bank, my husband, my 18-year-old <laughs> self. And when we asked them who they do trust, they said myself, my wife, my mum, a term deposit. So what's interesting there is um, not so much the lack of desire for trust, but the demand for a, for a different level of conduct and behaviour than what we're seeing in the industry today. Uh, and what about risk? What would you say are the biggest risks for consumers in this space? And I guess there's probably also different risks from your angle, but what, what, let's start with consumer risks. Yeah, absolutely. I think separate from the technology and um, cybersecurity risks that ideally financial institutions should be taken care of, it's also important that consumers look at risks in a similar way to how they manage their Facebook accounts. So anywhere where you're given the opportunity to share your data, you want to make sure that you know what you're consenting to, who's going to get access to that data, how they will use that data, and how to change or withdraw that consent in the event that you change your mind. So while this opens up a whole new world of opportunity, we've seen what's happened with some people with their Facebook accounts, and we'd hate to see similar circumstances arise in the context of open banking, especially now that we know more and we know what's available to us to be able to educate consumers on how to make the most of this opportunity without putting themselves at unnecessary risk. And so what about the risks from your perspective? What about the business risks? What do you think are the, the key challenges that you're looking at there? When we, when we started on this journey to create a neobank from scratch, one of the visions we had in mind was was a world where there would be open banking and more um, fluid and accessible data sharing so that customers could make better choices. So in some ways, we've been designing our services to prepare for this world. And the challenge that means for us, um, I think actually is how do we make it easier for new technology to speak to perhaps legacy systems and still facilitate this kind of data transfer no matter what kind of technology that you're working with. So do you think that uh, do you think that the big banks are ready for open banking? I wish I was a big bank so that I could tell you. Um, <laughs> I do think they have they have strongly recognized the desire from customers to be able to share data and quite rightly they're looking at ways to do that without 
without exposing customers to unnecessary risk. Thanks very much for your time today, Van. Thanks very much for having us. And we'll be back with another episode of the ASIC podcast very shortly. Thank you.